welcome back to another episode of What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna. Today we're talking about episode 30, A Dogged Expose. And this story follows A Scandal in Bohemia, which is a Sherlock Holmes short story. Shauna, do you have any relationship to this story in particular? Yeah, I with this episode overall, I think this is one of my ultimate top favorite Wishbone episodes uh, that I remember really, really well and I think about a lot. Um, with the story, I actually had a little bit of time this afternoon and I read the short story, which I think for the first time, it was a really quick read um, because this is like a story I really, really enjoy. Like I saw the BBC Sherlock, like I thought it was a decent adaption. I can't really talk to the commentary around sex work and how only rich people can do it. Um, but I, this was definitely my first encounter with this story. I don't think I've encountered it between Wishbone and BBC Sherlock though. No, I looked at the list of adaptations too, to see if it's like written into anything. And I didn't see anything but Sherlock um, and Wishbone. And then like some tellings of the actual story, but it's not like a common trope that we've like come across from what I could tell. Um, yeah, I don't, I am not a Sherlock Holmes person, so I've never seen Sherlock and I've never read this. Um, but I remembered the episode really well too. And I was like, as it was progressing, I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I remember, I remember. So this one must have really, but I don't know if it's like played, it was played a lot when we were kids or if it's just like really cemented in our memories because of the way it, it unfolds. I think it's just a really good, well done episode. I should add, I've read a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stories, so I do like them a lot. I haven't read as many Agatha Christie, um, but I have definitely read a lot of Sherlock Holmes stories. So I really enjoyed being able to read this one today. <laughs> so I did a little research on Wikipedia, like I mentioned, and um, I, what I learned was that A Scandal in Bohemia is the first short story that um, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle wrote and it, out of 56 short stories about Sherlock Holmes. So that's a lot of um, literature that he was cranking out there. Um, and it was where we first meet Irene Adler who was um, a recurring character in the Holmes series. Um, even though she was only in this one story, it sounds like she came up from time to time um, as somebody I think that Holmes was just like kind of infatuated with. I'm not really sure. Um, Shauna's nodding her head, so I'm assuming that this is correct. <laughs> How I interpret it is I kind of think Sherlock reads as like aero ace, like aromantic, asexual. Um, I'm obviously like speculating a lot by yeah. this character from 100 years ago, but I do think he is, he feels he has met his match for the first time and the only time. And oh, that's I interesting. think- Okay, that is interesting. Cause I was thinking she was more like the one that got away. Like he was like infatuated with her and just kind of like never really pursued anyone else. But that would make more sense. Your description makes a little bit more sense. Um, and just as like a side note, um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle ranked A Scandal in Bohemia fifth in his list of his 12 favorite Holmes stories. So this was a very popular one for him as well. Do you have anything else to add, John, or should we hop into the episode? Let's do it. I'm so excited to talk about it. It was a fun All one. Right. 
Yeah, so the episode opens with Joe showing Sam these flyers that he found that show a picture of her being a messy eater, which like I didn't really think it was that embarrassing. She's like got her mouth open and she has food in her mouth and like how this picture got snapped, I don't know, but um, it, it was what it was. And David was just like, I saw one in the study hall room and I didn't take it. And Sam was like, what is wrong with you? Why aren't we collecting all of these papers? This is so embarrassing. I, I just want to die. And the scene of her like interacting with the boys at Joe's house about this is so good. First of all, I didn't realize that it was of like her mouth being open and full of food. Cause it looked like her finger was like almost about to pick her nose. <laughs> so, like, I at first thought that's what the saga was going to be about. She's um, a nose picker. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was so funny when she was like, David was like, I saw a bunch in study hall. <laughs> and Sam was like, well, did you take them all? Because duh, like as a woman, that's right. my first thought. I want to protect my friend. Yeah, he's collect like, no. the evidence. You know, he's like, and like, don't let anybody else see it. But David's right. like, no, I just took the one so I could look. <laughs> it was so silly. It was so silly. And then Wanda and Ellen come in and David... <laughs> David's still very sheepish. He's like, this is not going to be the end of it. They're like showing it to Wanda and Ellen. He's like very concerned now suddenly. He's like, there's more to come. And Sam is just like distraught. And then Wanda's like looking at the picture and she's like, oh, Sam, this is such an invasion of privacy. Wait, are you eating tater tots? I love tater tots. And I was like, Wanda, you and me both, sister. <laughs> I love Ellen tater tots Sam. Myself. I love a fried potato and <laughs> you cut it up and you fry it, baby, I'm going to eat it. Uh, I'm ready. <laughs> I love a fried potato in all forms. Fry, we're from Wisconsin. You fry it, I'm going to eat it. But if it's a potato, I'll especially enjoy it. <laughs> There's some sort of dipping sauce, probably. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> love it. Love everything about this conversation. Ellen and Wanda have like totally inappropriate responses to <laughs> they respond like how I would respond if like a 10 year old in my life showed me something like this like I was just like well like you could tell Ellen's trying so hard not to say like it's not a big deal <laughs> right <laughs> also they're like laughing really hard but then at the end, they did say, like, let us know if there's anything we can do to help. You know, we have your back. Like, they were very nice about it. But, yeah, they were definitely like, this is, this is not a real problem. And, like, I imagine that as a parent, this happens a lot where you're like, oh, boy, this is not real problems. Like, kid, just you wait. <laughs> like, but at the time, it's like everything. Well, like, it's your feelings are so intense, right? So it's like. How of course. Do you, yeah. I, oh my gosh. I can't even put myself in the shoes of a parent in this moment. <laughs> but you know, what's funny is that I find when I'm talking to my friends whose kids are teenagers, they will bring the problems to me and say like, oh my God, can you believe this happened? And then I have to like remind them that like, it's not a big deal because they're just kids. But like parents also, I think it usually as Ellen and Wanda did it. Parents sometimes get caught up in the emotion of it too for their kids and they re recognize how hurt their kids are. So I've noticed that it's kind of funny where I'm like, you guys, this, this, they're 14. Like, it's going to be fine. This is not ending their lives. <laughs> it's true, but, but it feels that way. <laughs> it does feel that way. I mean, it's sometimes 14 year olds can get themselves into all sorts of trouble, but sometimes it's really not a real problem. Yeah. Anyway, 
So they are looking at this flyer and they realize that it's like signed by Hal Slamming Doan, but they misspelled slamming, which duh, when we find out who this person is, we're like, no shit, of course they misspelled it. Anyway, but then they're, then Sam is like, ooh, maybe it's a word scramble. Like maybe that's a code name. So they're like working out all the different possibilities of what the name could be. And they realize it's Amanda. Dun, dun, dun. So they go how and did find they even? How did they even, like, literally Sam looks at the name and is like, oh, it's misspelled. It must be an anagram. <laughs> like, yeah, that was weird. That's like how we should have, that, here I am bringing up a Harry Potter reference. I would have never <laughs> guessed that Tom Marvolo Riddle was I am Lord Voldemort. That's just not normal. No, it is not. I have no <laughs> idea what my name is an anagram for. I know what my I know what word my cell phone number maps to on the keypad. Oh, right, because but we're, I definitely we're don't the know. Generation. Yeah, obviously, I have no idea. <laughs> That's hilarious. Do you have a middle thing? No, I don't. Oh, uh, see, so, so you have fewer letters to work with. We could come up with an anagram for you pretty fast. I think. Yeah. It would probably be Shauna for deep. <laughs> There's a lot of vowels. <laughs> yeah, it's all turkey. I have two middle names, so I have a lot to work with. Oh gosh. Anyway, so they go to find Amanda because they're like, oh my gosh, why would she do this? How many pictures does she have? Like, what's coming next? So they go to school and they accuse her like right off the bat. They don't even ask like, Amanda, what did you do? Like, or like, did you do this? They're like, oh my God, what is wrong with you? You've lost your mind, blah, blah, blah. They're like, freak out. And, but then when she, when they're walking up, Amanda's looking at a paper too. And I was like, oh, obviously Amanda also got her picture taken, but these kids, they don't pay attention. I did not so, notice that. I was caught up oh. in the moment. I knew, I remembered it not, be, I remembered who it was. And I knew it wasn't Amanda, but like, I was just, I did not notice that in her hand. That was good sleuthing on your part. Well, I'm basically Sherlock Holmes. So <laughs> they accuse Amanda. She didn't do it. And they, she shows them a picture of her and she's like all sweaty after playing sports, which is again, not embarrassing because like after you play sports, you get sweaty, but whatever. So but, but the, like, like the caption her on not hers. being perfect it's like yes. you're not perfect anymore amanda because you sweat which i guess when you're <laughs> in middle school that's embarrassing and you're a uh, perfectionist and you're a control yeah. freak yeah yeah so then they're like sitting around and they're like who would do such a thing and then they're like duh it's demand which should have so, been their first thought like i was like right? who do they know who's mean duh Damant. Who do they know who's mean and executes? Damant. Right. Like there's two Demont. different ways. <laughs> he stole the snow machine. Twice. And then Curtis, his crony, was the one who tried to steal Joe's love letter. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They should have predicted it for moment one. Well, and I don't know why Ellen and Wanda weren't like, have you talked to Damant? That kid's no good. <laughs> He's uh, out also, weeding. He's out weeding Wanda's garden right now. Let's go ask him. I guess it was pretty clever of Dumont because he's not necessarily Sam's enemy. He's Joe's enemy, and he's not like he's just kind of mean to everybody. But he's like actively like underhanded when it comes up to Joe. That's so, true. but I would have thought like who is the mean person in our class? I wouldn't have thought like who's my arch rival as Samantha Kepler. <laughs> 
Right. Well, which does make sense with Amanda then, right? Because Amanda is her like school enemy, like her academic. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess. But what they didn't say is did DeMont put a fake name on Amanda's too? And was it a different fake name? That would have been interesting. It probably was an anagram for Samantha Kepler. That's Samantha what I'm Sempler. <laughs> that was probably it. That was it was very sneaky. He ran out of his creativity with Hal slamming Doan. <laughs> so the kids are like, we've got to come up with a plan to figure out how to get back at DeMond. So they're like, in a circle, they're like whispering. They bring Wishbone in on the plan. He hears what it is and he's like, I'm out of here. This plan is gross. And then the next scene shows Amanda and Sam and they're having a fake fight. And Amanda, <laughs> Amanda calls Wishbone a dumb mutt. And that was when I was like, oh, I totally remember this episode. I don't know why that comment was like, oh, I know what's happening here. Because you're a dog person. <laughs> Probably. I was just offended for Wishbone. And DeMont and Curtis are walking by and they overhear the fight and they're like, oh my gosh, our plan worked. DeMont, you're a genius. And then DeMont is on his way over to play basketball against Joe. And Sam goes over and she's like yelling at Joe and David. And she's like, you guys just don't understand. And they're like, you're overreacting. And so she like storms off and is like all in a flurry. And DeMont comes up and he's like, oh my gosh, what's going on Miss Sam? She's like really freaking out. And they're like, oh, she's just like overreacting. And he was like, well, let me tell you how the master works. And he's like gonna show them how he executed this camera situation. He's like got his camcorder or something. And Sam and Amanda are hiding with Wishbone in the bushes. And as soon as he bends over to open his camera case, Wishbone charges and grabs his shorts and they capture a picture of his underpants. It was very embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Which are red and white vertical striped, like very 90s, like cartoony The best thing would have been if they had been like white with red hearts. Like that was like everything. (laughs) Every cartoon when we were kids. Every cartoon. So Sam gets the picture developed and she's showing it to um, she's showing it to Wanda and Ellen and they're like, are you going to like hold this against him? Are you going to blackmail him? And she's like, I don't know. My dad told me to, you know, try my way first and this is what I decided to do. And DeMond comes and he's like trying to get the picture back. And so she gives him the picture and is like, but uh-uh, I have the negatives because it's the 90s. And he's like, come on, you gotta give them back to me. And he's like trying to be like all tough. And then she just gives them to him, which I don't understand. Talk about this and our key takeaways. And then they share a very meaningful look. And I believe a romance <laughs> is blossoming between Sam and Damont. It was a long look and Demont says, you're a lot smarter than you look. And Samantha says, yeah, well, I wish you could act as smart as you really are. And my next note is in all caps. And it says, well, I'm ready for the 20 years later movie like Dance Academy. <laughs> I agree. And their couple name will be Samant. I heard that as smut. And I was like, where did those two come from? Well, Samant. it's better than Demantha. Demantha. <laughs> 
Deppler. Deppler. What's Demont's last name? Deppler. Jones. Mm, Yeah, that won't work. That doesn't really work. Um, But Wishbone did have a really good quote here. At one point, she said, Sam says, Wishbone, sit, stay. And he goes, sit, stay, save the day, which is something my brother used to say all the time when we were kids. It must be from this. So that I wrote that down as a Drakeism. And that's so funny. Maybe that's why I remember this episode so well. Should we hop into the scandal in Bohemia? Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So this episode opens with Sherlock asking Watson to look at a letter. And Watson is like, ooh, this is expensive paper, which Watson is a man after my own heart. I also love stationery. And (laughs) Sherlock is like, yes, it's very expensive. It comes from Bohemia, which that's a little much. And the letter says that a masked gentleman will be coming to visit Sherlock. And uh, Sherlock is like, well, the sentence structure is German sentence structure. So this man must be German. And I was like, Sherlock, you know too much. And then the masked gentleman comes and I just started calling him Zorro because we didn't know his name yet. So Zorro arrives and he wants Watson to leave, but Holmes insists that he stays. And this man is like, I'm Count von Kron, and I have a, a case that implicates the House of Olmstein in the hereditary kingdom of Bohemia. And then Holmes is like, listen here, Zorro, you're the king of Bohemia, so stop your nonsense. And he's like, oh, I should have never tried to fool you, Holmes. You know everything. So the king shares that he became involved with an adventurous, which I think means sex worker, but they did not use that in the Wishbone episode. Well, they say she's an actress, and at the time, actresses were kind of, I don't want to say treated as sex workers, but they were like, that was like part of the package. Like, if you were an actress, you were like, free. Yeah, she's an (laughs) opera singer from New Jersey. But also, also they called her an adventurous at one point, which I was like, oh, that's interesting. Anyway, her name is Irene Adler, and they sent some embarrassing love letters, and there's an implicating, a compromising photo of the two of them together, and she's threatening to publish it. So Holmes goes to his like uh, encyclopedia of people, and he finds a little article on her, and is like, "Oh, this chick's from New Jersey. That's interesting." And it's I amazing. Really it's one. like Wikipedia for like yeah, it's, it's like Wikipedia. It's CRM. Yeah, it's and now we it's use CRM. It's totally a CRM that he has to print a new one every day with the updates. It's not good for paper. Anyway, so she now lives in London and the King's people have been going to her house to find this letter and the photo, the letters and the photo, but they can't find it. So Holmes is like, your agents suck, King. So I'm on my, I'm on the case. Let me at it. So he wears a very cute disguise and he goes and he's trying to blend in and he's talking in a Cockney accent and it was really adorable. And he's trying to get info from the other people who are standing around outside of her house because apparently she has stalkers. And the... I would say... (laughs) I read a lot of books set in this era, including the short story earlier today. It's more that, like, there was nothing for all of the... This was, like, an era of servants, right? Where, like... And, like, people who performed singular tasks. They're just readily available. I'm just improvising. 
I'm really enjoying, I'm more giving a little bit of flavor for our listeners. For reality of what's actually happening, not the Jillian version. Yeah, just a flavor. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, so they tell um, Holmes about this lawyer, Godfrey Norton, who visits, and they're like, lawyer in quotes. Like, they don't think this guy is actually a lawyer. But they're like very skeptical of him because he he visits a lot more than any lawyer needs to visit. And I was like, obviously, they're having an affair. Leave them alone. So, and Irene leaves every day at the same time, which is when Holmes is like, oh, I can sneak in because she's going to be gone from five to seven every day. Anyway, so Godfrey leaves the house. He gets in a taxi and he goes to the Church of St. Monica. And then Irene leaves the house and she goes to the Church of St. Monica. So then Holmes leaves and he goes to the Church of St. Monica because he was interested in investigating the house, but now he's going to investigate the action. The next scene we see, Holmes is returning to his house and he's like laughing hysterically because something so funny happened. And he's telling Watson like, oh my gosh, it was so hilarious. Guess what? I went to the secret wedding of Irene and her lawyer and they asked me to be a witness and Watson was like, you can't pretend to be a reverend. And this is the part where I was like, I don't understand why he would have to pretend to be a reverend. A witness isn't necessarily the person officiating the ceremony. Well, maybe times are different in London. That's for the next part. His next character is a preacher. The next disguise. Oh. You just can't tell because in our heads, like the collar is very different from what it was back then. <laughs> I thought he was saying you couldn't. Oh, maybe he was just saying you shouldn't pretend to be someone you're not. I don't know. Yeah. He was like chastising him. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, sorry. I was taking notes very rapidly. <laughs> anyway, Holmes then hatches a plan and he gives Watson some like very explicit instructions and is like, read these instructions. Don't deviate from the plan. Do as I say. He's very bossy. And then he's like hired a bunch of people to help him. And he tells Watson, like, don't rush into the scene. Even if it looks like I'm injured, you need to just stay where I told you to. Again, very bossy. So Holmes gets out and he's like, he's like on his way to Irene's house. And then he's these two men get into a squabble right in front of her. And then Holmes runs in and like tries to save the day. And he gets smacked and he falls down. And he's just laying on the ground like a dead dog. And he's very sad. And then these two ladies come up and they're like, oh my gosh, he's been injured and he's a reverend and it's terrible. And so you need to like, they're like, you need to take him inside. And so Irene is like, okay, bring him in. They scoop him up, this little Jack Russell Terrier, and they carry him inside. So and they, cute. Put him on a, <laughs> they put him on a chase lounge and he's just laying there and he's like pretending to be injured. And they're like patting his head with a little wet paper towel. And <laughs> it was probably a, a kerchief or something that looked like a paper towel. And then he's like pretending to be sick and he asks the like nursemaid lady that's there to open a window. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) She was like tending to him, but apparently she's just a full service friend. And she opens the window for him. And then, then he barks out the window to Watson and Watson throws in a firecracker and it starts smoking and it's crazy. And so they're like, oh my God, the house is on fire. Run! And Irene goes and opens her secret hiding place, which is behind this like pillar. And this is where I was like, oh, I remember this episode. <laughs> and it's like this column that opens up and that's where the photo is. And she sees Holmes looking at her. And then he's like, oh, not to worry, not to worry. It's just a firecracker. It's not a real fire. Don't worry. 
And so he's like, he like thinks he's got her out smart. So he's telling um, Watson about it. And he says, her female instinct betrayed her. And like, what you should know about ladies is that they're going to protect their stuff when there's a fire about to happen. And then while he's out um, talking to Watson, this person stops by and gives him a snack, which you shouldn't take snacks from strangers, but you know, you do you, Holmes. And and then the person is like, it's great to see you, Sherlock Holmes, or something like that. Some like kind of tips. Good night, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. Tips the hat. And then he's like, huh, that voice sounds familiar. And so the next day he goes back to Irene's house and tries to like get in to see the the photo and her house is like empty and her housekeeper is like oh yeah she left this morning she told me you'd be stopping by and so he has uh Watson open the secret hiding spot and the photo is gone She's replaced it with another photo of herself and a note to Sherlock explaining that she's kept the photo of her and the king for protection and that she doesn't plan to blackmail the king as long as he doesn't, you know, blackmail her. So the king is like, well, I guess if we just leave each other alone, it'll be fine. And so he offers to pay uh, Sherlock with his ring. And he's like, Sherlock is like, no, no, no. All I want is that photo of Irene as payment. And then I wrote weird. And that's the end. <laughs> that's the end. The episode is almost word for word what happens in the short story. Almost every single line of dialogue is lifted from the short story. So there really isn't like anything missing. Um, I just have such strong memories of her saying, good night, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the way that she says that, like the costume she's in. The actress who plays her is also like really like conventionally beautiful, <laughs> like a very she beautiful. beautiful, she's so beautiful. And um, her character is supposed to be like this amazingly beautiful person. And what was interesting to me is the character is American. So the character, like, the actress is using an American accent and everybody around her is using like a very comically like London or posh London accent. And because it's wishbone, like I, I had to like really pay attention and remember like this character is American. That's why she's using this accent because the accents like really get switched up on the show. There's, there's not a lot of consistency. It's fine. Yeah. It's true. I also love her dress that she's wearing in the very last scene when she's writing her letter to Sherlock. It looks like the white address that Eliza Doolittle or Audrey Hepburn wears in My Fair Lady um, mm-hmm. to Ascot. It was just like high necked, like big flouncy white thing that is so not my style, but like I guarantee it's on Pinterest and Instagram, like all over the place, <laughs> or at least the Yeah, top. I thought the costumes in this episode were really good. Like the guy who drives um, the, the carriage. Yeah, the carriage. He had like I don't know. He just had such a cute outfit. I really loved yeah. it. Yeah. Wish loved it. were obviously on point. Perfect. The set pieces were also really, really cool. I did notice um, at the beginning of the adaptation where it's like the king 
Watson and Sherlock in a room, there's a ton of like really abrupt editing. Like it just kept switching between their faces. And I wonder if it's because that set piece was like literally a small room <laughs> and they yeah, maybe, they had maybe. like maybe one shot of like all three of them in one shot. Um, but it was such a detailed like set. Like there was just like so many aspects of like other Sherlock books and like Sherlock the character. I feel like Wikipedia <laughs> um, in that like little room. That was pretty cool to me too. That's funny. I thought that the room Maybe it's just like because it's the same time period, but it reminded me a lot of the room that the time traveler had where like- It might be the same room. Of, it might be yeah. the same one, but it's just decorated differently. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really, I mean, the set decoration was great. Uh, There's a lot of detail, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, and I I too strongly remembered like the pillar that was a secret hiding place. I thought Wishbone had so many little fun moments here where he- kind of made jokes about how he had like skills that a dog would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he said that he had like a better nose than a dog or something, or ears, better ears than a dog. Yeah, and like um, at one point, like he, when he's debating, like do I, you know, go back to my house now that I know Irene's house will be empty between five and seven or do I go after them? And he goes, you know, I have a strange fascination for chasing cabs, so I went <laughs> So I thought that was really funny. And I just, the dog acting was just incredible in this episode. Like he truly did some really fantastic things and every costume he wore was just perfect. He had a little bowler hat. He had pants on again. Did you notice he was wearing pants? With the suspenders. Yeah, so cute. So cute. I loved it. And the like Sherlock Holmes, like kind of, tweed or tartan or whatever cape and deerstalker uh very cute so good i hope they do more sherlock stories so they can get really some good mileage out of that outfit because it's adorable they do at least if they if we haven't watched hound we have watched hound of the baskervilles yeah that was one i then there must be one or two more but i do remember these two at least well, we all know that every episode is a surprise to me, so who's to know? <laughs> um, do you have any other notes on costumes or fashion that you would like to share? Just loved it all. Um, in the very last scene where Sam confronts DeMont with the pictures and the negatives, she's dressed as Bindi Irwin on the top with, like, a khaki <laughs> colored, like, polo shirt and, like, a khaki twill cap and- a ponytail, but like a low ponytail. <laughs> I love that you said she was Bindi Irwin and not the crocodile hunter, which is where that outfit originated. You mean her dad, Steve Irwin? No, I specifically said Bindi because obviously she's a woman. Um, but she's wearing like a skirt, like a red floral skirt. No, that was weird. It did not match all. I was very concerned. She was like, I, I was first, I was like, oh, she's wearing this like very tomboyish outfit, totally matched Sam because they only show her from like the shoulders up. And then she like sits down to pet wishbone and she's like wearing this weird skirt on the bottom. It, it didn't so even weird. go together. Do you have any other fashion notes to add besides Samantha Kepler's very strange skirt? No, I, I know in my notes, I noticed that Joe's bowl cut seemed particularly fresh. <laughs> very straight lines <laughs> very straight lines and 
the whole episode, the the Wishbone and Oakdale part really felt like, do you remember the show like Candid Camera, like things like that were really popular for a while. I feel I loved that movies. show when I was a kid. I don't even really remember what happened on it, but it's basically like punked, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, so like that kind of thing was really having a moment in the 90s. You know what I just realized? America's Funniest Home Videos was just TikTok. Yeah, it pretty much was. You're right. <gasps> wow. That's true. I also loved that show when I was a kid. But that yeah. show went on for far too long. I mean, it was like still on. It might still be on. I don't even know. Yeah, I remember it was Bob Saget and then Tom Bergeron. And then somebody else hosted it after that, I remember. but Yeah, I the guy from um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Carlton? Yeah, the guy who played Carlton. Oh, Alfonso Ribeiro, I think. Yes. And I did not. Good for him. Yeah. He was oh. on, I bet he got that job because he was Dancing, on with, Dancing the with the Stars. stars. And it was on ABC. But then he got fired and they hired Tyra Banks. And then poor Tyra had to be the host during COVID. And it was so bad. I loved it. This is a Tyra is like unhinged when someone gives her the microphone to host any sort of television show. From no, my experience with Antium so and Ty- the Tyra Banks show. Why did they do that? She wore like 75 outfits per episode. And she was like, she would like pretend like there were people in the audience, even though it was clearly empty. <laughs> she was just like, she would ask questions because they always ask questions about like, oh, you dedicated that dance to your dead mom. You know, that's like really beautiful. You know, they'll do something like that. And then she'd be like, and how does that make you feel? And then her eyes would get like really big and it would be so horrible. Oh, I loved it. I watched just to see her. Oh, I did not know about this. I, especially hearing like how unhinged it was, like I I assumed, I can't believe I didn't see like clips on Twitter or like, this is literally the first I'm hearing about this. So it must've been like pretty wild by normal people's standards, but not wild enough for social media. Yeah, I, think, I think it wasn't. <laughs> you know what, also everything in COVID has been just such a, scramble i don't know that anyone really knew what was going on also who watches dancing with the stars except for me and like 60 year old suburbanites i don't know just me probably but like funny things that like things that go viral for like uh, being what unhinged <laughs> can come from anything that's true that's true well you could go try to find some clips of it it was pretty great i really i would like call my parents every day with like an update like every after every episode and be like okay this week <laughs> She really lost her mind. Oh my goodness. That's so, I'm definitely looking this up after this and I will discuss it <laughs> with, with yeah. the group chat. <laughs> that is so funny. First time hearing about this. Love it. Thank you for this reveal into the fact that we are having celebrity entertainment television shows during a pandemic. Yes. So Tyra is the new host. That's how Tom Bertrand got fired. But then that's probably how Alfonso got the, the job. Oh, but I looked up to see if it's still on. I forgot to check if it's still on. <laughs> um, it appears that it is still on. Great. Yeah. 
That was so fast. Okay. It's funny how fast that was to me because I have an old phone. My phone is several years old. I am like not a big technology person. And a couple of weeks ago, Jillian knows this, I bought an iPhone and I literally had it open for 24 hours and had to put it right back into the box 24 <laughs> hours later. Like, it was not a good experience for me. It was really fast though. And my cousin kind of bullied me into it. And um, we were chatting about it last week. And I said, you know, I couldn't do it, but I don't mind having to wait. Like when I push a button to do something, and he was like, that's wild. Like I'm very efficient. I'm obsessed with efficiency, which I thought was a totally different, hilarious conversation. But today I was like doing something on Spotify. <laughs> I like wanted to search something on Spotify and I pushed a Spotify, but it took three seconds between <laughs> me pushing the button and the keyboard and the search bar popping up in Spotify. And I was like, oh, Oh, like I just go about my day spending like minutes at a time waiting for my phone to do things that like, I mean, I can afford a new phone. Like that's not a problem at this point in my life, but it's just never, ever a priority. But now that it's, you know, a pandemic, like we all picked up our phones in March and never put it down. Right. So like I should get a decent phone. Yeah. You should at least get one that like changes the page from time to time. It is like, you know, processing things. It's so funny. I, it's slow. And then like, it really didn't occur to me that like, it truly was slow to a point where like, I have the ability to like get a new phone and have it fast <laughs> until he, he was saying things like that. And I, I literally was just like, I want to search this on Spotify. One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, the show is still on. Alfonso is still the host. I searched him. it very quickly. That's because I have an iPhone. It's true. You learned a lot. <laughs> all right so should we hop into the key takeaways do you have anything else to add shauna no i don't have anything else to add just one of my all-time favorite wishbone episodes the adaptation part so what was your key takeaway from this favorite wishbone episode it's so interesting because i think i had like two or three key takeaways and okay. they kind of relate to both of them so my overarching one is something that DeMont says explicitly, <laughs> um, my overarching key takeaway is not to underestimate your audience. Like Wishbone says, never underestimate your enemy. DeMont says like, wow, like you're smarter than you look. Um, and Sherlock fully underestimated a woman because he thought a woman couldn't be as smart as him. He, already thinks other people can't be as clever and smart as him. So just the fact that a woman is the one who bested him um, was just not something he could have, not in his wildest imagination. And I thought that was really interesting because um, it's very easy to make assumptions, but I think it's also important to clarify expectations. And I think like when you're kind of treading that balance, whether it's you're talking to like someone who's a friend or a family member or like someone you work with, like how do you like kind of balance that, balance a tread? Okay, we all know I can't do expressions <laughs> I'm trying to say like how do you manage like the balancing of how do you balance those two things basically like how do you make sure you're 
being explicit about your assumptions and expectations and like a, a useful way and in a truthful way, because, you know, like there's no reason to be passive aggressive <laughs> when you're doing things like this. Um, but yeah, I think that's the first one that I would love to talk about if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I think that's interesting because I think it, it comes down to like, like trust, right? Like if you have a trusting relationship with somebody, it's easier to set those expectations without being passive aggressive. I think when you're passive aggressive, it tends to be because you don't trust what that person's reaction is going to be, or like you don't trust the relationship will withstand your true feelings. So, and there's also, I was listening to Brene Brown today, so I'm all about the vulnerability train. Um, there's a lot of vulnerability, right? In, in sharing your true feelings and managing and like really laying out your expectations and trusting that that person is going to respect your boundaries or respect your expectations. And like, you don't have to be passive aggressive about it. I think that's, I mean, that's why people are passive aggressive is if they're afraid to be vulnerable. That's such a good observation. I, it, this is something I've been thinking about a lot because I have a new job. I've been working here a couple months and I had like a one-on-one -on -one with my manager kind of explicitly we were talking about my interactions with the team which are fully virtual right like we're all in like literally different time zones different states different parts of the world and um something he did praise was like my humility that like I you know could come in with all these like expectations and thoughts and assumptions about myself. And he was like, you are someone who is very willing to make suggestions and be wrong and <laughs> ask questions and be the only person on the call who doesn't know the answer in a way that a lot of other people are um, not willing to do. And I think to me, that's because I've been on this like right vulnerability train and like being a little bit more realistic about like who I am. But I think it's reminding me to be more cognizant about like perception because I think like, especially as like Jillian and I like are like well in our careers, like have a reputations for ourselves in our specific like fields and industries and have titles and like places that we've worked are like well known in our specific industries and have multiple degrees soon Jillian will be graduating so like it's very easy for you know the perception of us from the other side to be a certain way and it's our job to show people that we are vulnerable and willing to take the truth at face value <laughs> but it's so hard to like balance that building of trust and um own up to it like grown up to how hard it is and that you recognize that it's like important for everyone to be able to achieve success. Yeah. I think about this a lot. Like I think I, and I, I've never worked with you, Shauna. So I don't know if this is how you are, but I assume from being friends with you for so long, this is probably how you are. Like there's very little difference between my like out of work persona and my in work persona, because I just really don't, um, have the ability to turn off my personality when I walk through my doors at the office. Um, but I think with that comes really learning how to 
like modify myself rather than just like modifying my work personality, you know, like really learning, like something I've really worked on in the past couple of years is really learning how to like tamper my opinions. And like, I'm very well known in my family, especially for having very strong opinions and I'm not afraid to share them. And I don't even need you to agree, but like, I'm going to tell you how I feel and I just need you to know but I think like in a work setting, that's not necessarily appropriate. So you need to like, you know, keep it to yourself or like play the devil's advocate or like explicitly say like, this is just a thought I have. How do you feel? You know, like really learn how to present it. And so I think, um, but I think like coming to that realization took a lot of vulnerability on my part because I had to like really think about it from all angles. Like, how am I doing this in my personal life? How am I doing this in my professional life? And to get to that place, you have to really build trust with the people around you who are going to hold you to a higher expectation of yourself and really say to you, like, this is how I'm perceiving what you're saying. And then you have to be able to like, trust them enough to go back to them and say, like, do you think I've made any changes? Do you, how are you perceiving me now? Being willing to like ask other people for more than, you know, just one opinion of yourself. It's like, it takes a lot of vulnerability on so many levels to really hone that personality trait yeah thank you for that that was I very much relate to it you are correct that (laughs) there isn't a work Shauna and a home Shauna and something that was really hard for me because even though that's true for me is I have a hard time separating my like relationship with people in terms of like this is my work relationship with them and this is my social relationship with them but that's not true like you just have one relationship with them and they don't see like these different aspects of you (laughs) as like two different people so that has been something I have been trying to be more cognizant of I think things like this are all very different in person. And I am having the existential crisis that everybody else had like in March and April about like working from home and working remotely and like starting a new job virtually and like different people having different thoughts on what that looks like now and what that means for them. Um, But for me, I don't get to do all these things that we're talking about, which is like, you know, at the surface superficial level, like develop a reputation for myself as someone who like is trustworthy (laughs) and executes and someone you want to work with. And I don't really have a way to do that. Like it's really all hearsay. Like if people have a chance to talk about me, if they even remember that I exist because I'm like so new, they're not working with me. Like why would they know? Whereas if we were in an office, like I am very much a pervasive presence in an office. (laughs) Like I know everyone, I go everywhere. I kind of like have my fingers in everything. And that's also how I've built my career. Like you can't, if you're someone who like tries to be kind of intentional around that, it's hard to do that virtually. And it's hard to be in positions of leadership and it's hard to remember that you are seen in a position of leadership, even if you don't necessarily, you know, have direct reports or um, have authority over the things that you have responsibilities for. Yeah, that is, that's a whole nother can of worms being seen as a leader in the virtual world and like how you manage that. And yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy, indeed. (laughs) 
Thank you for that discussion. The other, yeah. I mentioned I had more than one tea takeaway. My other one is kind of a small, I would say like subset of that. And that's um, be kind to the people around you. Like Sherlock falls victim to this. Um, he just talks about how smart he is in the middle of the street in London. And Irene Adler was able to disguise herself and do exactly what Sherlock does and like casually be nearby and hear him like gassing himself up in public. Um, And it's just like, you know, you don't know, like, especially in the working world, like it's small or like when you live in a city, like a major city, like your social circles always overlap. <laughs> like You always know someone who knows someone, whether it's professional or personal. And it's like, just remember that <laughs> it's a smaller world than you think. Yeah, that's a very good point. We were actually talking recently about like, if I were to apply for a new job or, you know, if I were looking for a new, a new position and, you had said something about like, oh, you could go on inter- informational interviews. And I was like, oh, I can get to just about anybody I need to in this field because it's so small. And that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it depends on who you are, I guess. I used to work for a nonprofit that declared bankruptcy very publicly. And it was like, it was covered in the news a lot. And everyone in the nonprofit sector knew that. And when I walked into the room and that organization's name was on my name tag, I did not feel good about it. And then I moved to a really well-respected, well-known organization in this city. And it changes your demeanor absolutely when you walk into a room. But regardless, I think like, it doesn't matter what the name of the organization is that I work on. Obviously my own professional reputation would precede me regardless at this point. So I think, yeah, it's interesting how, how small the world becomes when you get older. Yeah, very true. (laughs) What about you? What were your key takeaways? Well, I was thinking about how um, we've had a lot of episodes about like revenge and consequences to your actions, which is very like, I think those are pretty common conversations to have with kids and to show them lots of different ways to get revenge and, you know, how how you deal with consequences to your actions. And I kind of thought that Sam should have kept the negatives, but that was just my personal opinion. Um, But what I actually was thinking about more was how, you know, the Sherlock story, Sherlock underestimates Irene because she's a woman and like says that she's just like going to fall victim to her emotional, like her emotions because she's a woman. Sam has like the same kind of reputation. Like the way that they talk about her is just, like the boy saying like oh you're just overreacting the girls are just so irrational you know you're just like so emotional and I was just having a conversation with my parents today about Kamala Harris and how you know in the next election Biden is likely not going to run and obviously Kamala is the like going to be the candidate and um, we're talking about Pete Buttigieg and like I was like, oh, it'd be so cool if he were her VP candidate, only because I just like the diversity of the ticket. No other reason other than like, it's just like, I I don't think it's a good idea. I'm not a political smart person, politically smart person at all, but I just like the idea of it. I don't think it's a good political strategy, but we were just talking about it and we were like, how ridiculous would that be? Like nobody would vote for them. Like, 
you know, you would have people who are homophobic and you would have people who are afraid to have a woman president and it would just like blow people's minds and it would be too hard. Uh, and we were talking about like, why do people not think that women will be good presidents? And I was saying to my parents, like, I think it's that this, this idea that like women can't control their emotions and like, there's this like underlying concern that women can't like get, keep it together, even though we have tons of examples of women leaders from around the world who have like really kept their head on straight during the COVID pandemic and really like led their countries in a way that are really remarkable. And like the men are just fumbling left and right. Whatever. So I, I was just thinking about how like that perception of women just hasn't changed. Like this idea that women are hysterical and like, can't control themselves and it's for all the great things that have happened for women that is like such a pervasive idea that I just I don't think about but like I know exists and it's just I don't know it's kind of depressing and disappointing it's so true and we see it in every sphere right like not just political but also like oh yeah companies and communities and like religions and things like that like there's so many different ways that our society has codified the fact that women are um less capable and has like created expectations and definitions around like what capabilities are and part of that is related to i'll say like how you present as well as um whether you're a like a woman who presents as like very feminine or a woman who presents as more masculine um, regardless of how you may identify like that also adds to perceptions right like angela merkel versus like jacinda our prime minister in um uh, new zealand two like very different women in terms of how they've built up their careers and um, are still in positions of power and are like, you know, examples to the world of people who've like truly had to like, you know, do some, do some, make some hard decisions and be in positions of power and not have to be emotional when, just like you said, we have so many examples of men being the ones who are very incapable of keeping a handle on their emotions in the yeah. pre-social media world as well. <laughs> right. Well, it's also interesting because like, so I, and Shauna knows this about me, but I grew up in like a very matriarchal family. Like my family is Sicilian. And by the time I was born, there were, I didn't have any grandfathers left really. And so like, I only had grandmothers and my mom's mom is like this like true matriarch in our family. Like everyone really flocks to her. And my, my mom has sisters and they have, one of them has a female partner. And like, I just like, I have a lot of women in my life who have really taught me, I mean, aside from my mom, who's also a really strong woman, like how to be a strong independent person. And I work in the nonprofit sector, which is like full of women in leadership, which is like a really fortunate position to be in. I've had a lot of female mentors in my life and they were not hard to come by they were just there and I was fortunate to be in that position um but I also work in the nonprofit sector where like it's like not uncommon for like men to have emotion because the more sensitive of the world kind of flock to this sector and so I've been in meetings where like 
the men have been the ones who are crying. The ones who are crying are the ones who are like getting worked up and like feeling emotional. And it doesn't always happen, but I just think like in my, in my day to day, I have a very different experience than what I see reflected in the world. And the way that like women are treated globally or even nationally is just kind of mind boggling to me because I don't experience it in my day to day. And so like constantly reminding myself that like, I have like a little bit, I have a lot of privilege in it. It's like a little bit similar to like white privilege where like I need to like check myself and realize like the, my experience is not what other women are experiencing, which is just interesting. Very true. And part of, and I, I recently had this conversation with one of my cousins who he has two young daughters and we were kind of talking about parenting because we were all parented in very different ways. And we grew up in the same town, like he and I and his brother and my younger sister. And we're talking about like, he was like, you know, I want my kids to truly be limitless, like to, to feel limitless, to feel that like, and I want like me and my, him and his wife to feel like they have as much as they can, like, give them every possible entitlement that they can have um, as biracial children. And it was such an interesting conversation to have because to me, so much of that conversation and giving them that mentality is also it like, you have to acknowledge your privilege to, <laughs> and to like act on it in a thoughtful way. And I was like, like, we have to talk about the fact that we are having very different life experiences and even other people who are immigrant kids, like we have had very different careers. We have had access to different kinds of education because of our circumstances. Um, and like he is married to a person who is not South Asian and like that is a whole different conversation. Um, so I was like, there's so many layers to it that it's not so it's not simply like, oh, like I want to raise my daughters to feel like to feel entitled or to feel limitless or to feel like they can they're capable of everything that they can even imagine. Like there's so many pieces of that that are harder to acknowledge. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's a difference between feeling entitled and feeling empowered. Yes. And that's like, the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like, but I think like teaching your kids, regardless of their gender and regardless of their race to feel empowered is important. Teaching them that what, I mean, like I do subscribe a little bit to the idea of like, teaching your kids that they can be whatever they want to be, but then like being realistic of like, how are you going to get there? Right? Like you can't just say to your kids, like go and be the president or like go and be a lawyer or like go and be whatever, like whatever it is that you dream up, a ballerina, whatever. And then like not acknowledge that their path to getting there may be harder than other people's or it just may not happen and that's okay. And then what do you do next? You know, like I think there are tools that can go with it, but I do think like, allowing your kids to dream big is important and like not limiting your kids because they're girls is important but then yeah having realistic expectations about like what's going to happen also important and that it's okay to have feelings 
Oh yeah, totally. Like no, like children just aren't taught that in general. Like that's like, like people who are parents aren't necessarily parenting. Like that's two very different things, situations. I mean, we saw it in this episode of Wishbone really well, like Ellen and Wanda are very much like parental figures in Samantha's life and they know it. Like they know they're not just like kooky neighbor next door and like the mom of my best friend's like you know like we're part of like how she approaches the world and we also like have um we have an effect on the way that she problem solves and (laughs) things like that yeah yeah it's interesting I mean I think this is actually something I was just talking to my dad about today he was saying like when I was growing up he really tried hard to make sure that like I felt heard as a kid and like that my opinions were, we were talking about how opinionated I am, and <laughs> callback, um, but we were talking about that, and he was saying, well, when you were growing up, we really wanted you to feel heard, and that, like, your opinions mattered, and we would listen to how you felt about things, and he was like, perhaps that's why you have so many opinions now, and I was like, yeah, but I don't think that that's a bad thing, like, learning how to tamper my opinions, and learning how to, like, keep some things to myself, that's my own personal struggle, that's not my parents' fault, but, like, teaching your kids that it's okay to like think critically about things and have feelings about how things are going to happen and what's happening to them is super important for coping later in life this was a good episode again we like really had a deep dive on lots of feelings I do think the like episodes that are a little bit more basic allow us to dig deeper (laughs) because then it's archetypes, right? Like there's a reason why these are the stories that were chosen to be part of the wishbone canon. Like they're representative of the human experience. Yep, totally. Well, another good episode. Thank you everyone for joining us. Um, Oh, recommendations. I almost forgot. Shauna, do you have a recommendation for our listeners? I do have a recommendation um, and it is loosely wishbone connected. So I have been rewatching my favorite TV show, which is called Alias. It is 20 years old this year, which is wild. Um, it is about a young woman in grad school. <laughs> who is, a spy. is it about me? It, you, I mean, don't tell anyone you're a spy because bad things happen. I'm not um, a spy. Great. That's what a spy would say. I know. I, know. <laughs> I feel uh, horrible young... spy. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I don't know how to keep anything to myself, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. It's one of my favorite shows um, because... It actually shows a woman who really embodies a lot of what we're talking about right now, not just the literal Irene Adler of her like being able to embody, like take on a lot of different disguises in order to sell a story or complete her mission, but also the show really allows the main character to be just an amazing fighter and problem solver and thoughtful like person at her job at the same time as she's very emotional in other scenes because she is a human being and she's reacting to really sad or scary or upsetting or angering situations and it allows um, her to have those moments as well as the other like men in her professional and personal settings Um, 
So yeah, it's my favorite show. It's called Alias and it's very much a show that is just fun and funny and the first two seasons are perfect television. The rest of it doesn't really exist to True Alias fans. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love that that's your recommendation. It's kind of like me recommending The West Wing. It's just it's true. life. It's what's happening in our world. Um, oh, and my wishbone connection is that David's dad oh, plays yeah. a recurring CIA agent in the second season. <laughs> You texted Second me season. about that last night. That's an excellent <laughs> connection. Um, my recommendation has a photography connection, which is kind of exciting. Um, last night I watched the documentary The Way I See It, which is about Pete Souza, who was the chief uh, White House photographer during the Obama administration. He was there for all eight years. And it was a really... I just really enjoyed it. Well, first of all, I love reliving the Obama administration because I'm sure that there were lots of flaws and faults, but I refuse to see them. And I like to just live in this world where like, I just, it makes me happy. Um, And also I'm glad I watched it like right after the Trump administration was over because then I could not be sad about current life and I could like pretend like life is going to get better from here. Anyway, um, Shauna's shaking her head at me like... (laughs) Girl. No, I'm nodding my head. I think we're we're in a period of transition, hopefully. We're in a period like of mentally, like potential hope. Potential yeah, mentally hope. and emotionally, we're we as a and we are in a period of transition. <laughs> so anyway, but what I really liked about it was that Pete Souza was this like behind the scenes guy. He had been like taking all these like he's taken like every famous photo of Obama that you saw during the administration, which is just really cool. Um But also he was this behind the scenes person who then during the Trump administration, like really kind of like sought, not sought power, but like took power and like was really like using his, he, he created an Instagram account where he was using his photos and like of Obama and the way that the Obama administration was run and comparing them to like what was happening in the Trump administration and like really pointing out the fallacy, like the the flaws in the Trump administration, flaws is like not the right word, horribleness. <laughs> and I, I just kind of like how he like kind of took his voice in his own way. Like he wasn't like all of a sudden this like crazy, like keynote speaker everywhere or like, you know, leading all these marches or whatever. He was just like, he kind of took power or like took, took his voice in a quiet way and like kind of just started doing like this own thing on on the side and I don't know I just liked it like he I've been following his photography for a long time and following his Instagram account and I think he's really smart and he he says really funny things and he is just like genuinely himself and I liked that also it was very interesting to watch Obama age in front of my eyeballs because man did that man age during the his administration boy what an exhausting job she looks exactly the same. She's like got some sort of miracle something going on. And I love it. Oh, she looks great. All the time. Hashtag goals. I know. She just, and she never ages. It's really remarkable. It's so funny. As you know, I've been watching Alias, as I just mentioned a minute ago, um, that I was t- talking to one of my friends about how, 
Well, like Jennifer Garner in the starring role of Alias is like really part of the reason why I would like actually got motivated to like, I would start like doing like conditioning workouts because her like, she is so strong in on that show. And she's like, I think she's Jillian in my height. Like she's tall. Like she like now is a full on mom, (laughs) but she's really (laughs) strong and like was just it was just cool to see that on television and like that was kind of the example that I had in my life before Michelle Obama got on the scene and then like Michelle Obama became more of a fixture in my head of like a person who is like physically and like mentally and emotionally like um strong like it's like yeah I sorry I did not mean to interrupt I just I love I I love her um, the more I learn about Michelle Obama, the more I love her. And the more I look to her as like, like, the more I look at her, I'm like, you are not like, your body is maybe not conventionally like a body that people be like, oh, that's the most beautiful conventional body. But like, she is, she's strong. She's like powerful. She's like, but she's also powerful without being, without being a jerk. And like, I don't know, man, she's like, she's so charismatic. Like, Anytime she was, uh, I've seen like any picture of her and Barack at the inauguration um, of this year of 2021. I truly have like, I couldn't tell you what Barack is wearing. I couldn't tell you what he looks like. I couldn't tell you anything about it. Like she's so like, your eyes just simply drawn to her. She has such presence. Yeah. And she's stunning. And like, in a way that's like, also feels achievable it's like it's just it's very grounded yeah yeah it's very grounded yeah that's what I'm saying yeah oh my gosh I really (laughs) well on that note (laughs) what's your recommendation oh that was your recommendation (laughs) oh gosh let's wrap it up all right thank you so much for listening we really appreciate you going on these tangents with us um, it's late if you can't tell because this is when our podcasts really get off the rails. Thank you all for <laughs> listening. We'll talk to you next so week. So true. Uh, thank you all for listening. Bye. Subscribe to What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna wherever you listen to podcasts. Every episode of Wishbone is on YouTube and we've linked them for you at wishbonepodcast.com. Hope you'll join in.